Mo Facts with Adam Curry for December 2nd, 2019. This is episode number 17. And I'm in the dark. <laughs> hey, Mo. How you doing? How you doing, sir? Good. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, you've kept me in the dark. Yeah, this is one of the cases where we uh, I didn't share with you what the show topic was going to be um, for a reason, because I want your gut reaction to some things so okay uh, that, that's where we're at. well that's always exciting if, if you're getting a gut reaction you never know what can happen <laughs> which of course is one of the beautiful things of this show is where we really don't discuss too much ahead of time uh, maybe you'll give me a topic or maybe i'll shoot you a couple things that are interesting to talk about um but uh, we just kind of freewheel it from there with mo's uh, expertly put together rundown and a reminder this is a value for value podcast which means there's no commercial interest involved, there's no advertising, no pitches. The only thing we ask is uh, you consider how much value you received from listening to the show, and whatever that value is, translate that into a number and send it off to us. You can go to mofax.com, find out how, or mofundme.com, M-O-E-fundme.com, and participate in uh, keeping the show on the air. Um, yeah, well, where do we go, Mo? Where do we start? Oh, I guess we can get right into it. Uh, Queen and Slim trailer. Can I ask you something? What took you so long to respond to me? I sent you a very well-crafted message three weeks ago. And today, out of the blue, you hit me up asking if you want to grab dinner. What changed? I didn't feel like being alone. Not tonight. So you turned to Tinder. So what happens tonight? Did you think we were going to have sex? <laughs> no. I thought we were going to hang out. Maybe get to know each other. Execute a turn signal back there. Go ahead and ask you to step out of the vehicle for me. Could you please hurry up? What did you say? It's just cold. Get on the ground! Keep your hands where I can see Why is he under arrest? What is your badge number? Chill, just chill! I'm reaching for my cell phone! Now let's go. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother, you stay Cop killers! Cop killers! It was self defense. We're in the black money and class. How you gonna outrun the police? We don't have to outrun them. We just have to make sure they don't know where we are. This is Kentucky, my friend. There's a war going on out there. Are you welcome this into our home? Is this y'all? Y'all really gave us something to believe in. We need the death for real. Let them go! I got a new Black Panthers. Power to the people. Wow. Now, this is a movie trailer that completely passed me by. I have no idea. No idea what the, I don't know a lot about movies in general, but I have no idea what this is about. All right. So this is Queen and Slim. It's a universal uh, pictures project. Mm -hmm. It was um, let me see. It was released over the weekend on the 27th in the United States. And it was. Uh, written by Miss Lena Waith and directed by Melina Matta, Matt Sakakis. So mm -hmm. uh, so it's one of the latest, uh, and I have to give credit, and I'm not being a hater here, but I guess that's not what we do. But it's one of the finest pieces of uh, trauma-based entertainment <laughs> propaganda. Uh, <laughs> when I heard the trailer, all, all I could think of was, Trauma, trauma entertainment, trauma-based entertainment. <laughs> okay, yes. Do, so do I, yeah, so this, on this show, we only address things that bleed over into political, social, political um, topics. So on the socials, 
This has been you know, the greatest, the latest and greatest. Uh, and I say, use the word again, piece of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, you have to see this movie. And when I see that, that's how it became my mind. Well, I saw the trailer seven months ago. Mm-hmm. So I was like, seven months out, you see a trailer, uh, especially being a black film, you know that Hollywood it's is going to be pushing it It's hard. pushing it, pushing it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because that's 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 a long way out to start uh, promo. Yeah, that, a that's movie. like Star Wars type timeline. Uh, correct, and so the reason why I kept this under wraps is, I guess you gave it to me, but what did you take away from that trailer? Well, it, there was a lot going on first time I heard it, but it <laughs> sounded like is it something with the cops killing black people? That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> Not having seen anything, not having looked it up, just listening, just hanging out with Mo. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. I know what kind of film this is. So, but yes. In, but in this case, the rabbit got the gun. I use that term on um, that term. Where, um, well, let's get into uh, Brandon Avery, a movie critic, explain the plot. But what is this movie Queen and Slim about exactly? Well, Slim and Queen's first date takes an unexpected turn when a policeman pulls them over for a minor traffic violation. When the situation escalates, Slim takes the officer's gun and shoots him in self-defense. Now labeled cop killers in the media, Slim and Queen feel that they have no choice but to go on the run and invade the law. When a video of the incident goes viral, the unwitting outlaws soon become a symbol of trauma, terror, grief, and pain for all people across the country. Oh, brother, one of these. And this is what you said, Universal? Yes, this is Universal, and this is the same movie house that gave us uh, Harriet. Ah, okay. Yes, gotcha. Harriet, which of so, course was was no good. It was no good at all. <laughs> and no, you're going to see a... <laughs> it was no good, another because p- completely wrong. Everything was off. Wrong actress. No, 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 no. And when I say no good, I want to make, make a couple of things clear. These people that make these movies are very talented. The viewpoint when i say no good is the effects that the people that hire them to make these movies right the outcome they expect from them that's why i say no good because these people are very they are talented obviously directors and uh writers and uh so it's not hate and i know a lot of people are uh rolling their eyes right now but i want to remind let me say this about our audience we have a very intelligent audience that understands the nuance of our conversation. But for some people that may just be coming in uh, and they're rolling the eyes that think that I'm just being a <laughs> hater, a I want to remind them. <laughs> Wait a minute, Mo. Did you get some pushback over Thanksgiving with the family in town? Did some people start <laughs> moaning at you? Oh, no, but I know what to expect. <laughs> when you go at the propaganda pieces, <laughs> you're yeah. going to get this knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And I want to remind people that I am a black man. Oh, that's right. We almost forgot. Okay, good. And I am a white man. Hello. Welcome to MoFax with okay. Adam Curry. <laughs> right. So, uh, <laughs> so as, as the man said in the, um, the trailer, it's about trauma. As I've said, it's about trauma. Uh, so I found this interesting clip about the movie You Were Never Really Here mm-hmm. with, I think, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. 
and they had a very interesting uh, take on how movies capture and portray trauma. I want you to listen to something. The sound of fireworks. Let's take away the lights for now. The sound seems pretty normal and familiar, but after hearing it for a while, the sporadic bursts and crackling combustions begin to form an invisible nuisance. What if I asked you to listen to this for an hour, a day, or a week? Everywhere you went to, and even when you had to go to sleep, forced to even find it in your dreams, it would become unbearable and exhausting. How would you be able to go about your day? Your normal tasks and interactions would be greatly affected. It's as if you're living in a disorienting reality apart from everyone else, always on edge, at the mercy of the next destabilizing pop, hoping for a moment of silence. While preparing to make the film You Were Never Really Here, director Lynn Ramsey gave a recording of fireworks to Joaquin Phoenix to prepare him for his role. It's an interesting way to introduce someone to the mindset of a person afflicted by a traumatic event. Trauma is a relentless and constant assailant that can intrude in all aspects of a person's life. It's an invisible aggressor with the power of reminding you that it can break you whenever it wants, and that even time has difficulty of silencing it. You know, when I listen to that, if you just add some drugs to it, you've got a perfect MKUltra program. Mm-hmm. And they said trauma's the perfect assailant, that it can strike at any time. And what these films do, are set out to do, and I'm going to prove my case, is to reaffirm that trauma and to bring it, a keep, keep, it's like an update to the firmware. You know, we got to keep them in a state of trauma at all times. Okay, so hold on a second. What, you, what I understand now is the way this, the, the path of this particular episode is everybody's traumatized one way or the other, in particular from mainstream mm -hmm. media. Uh, there's different types of it. Uh, some are targeted, some are general, some everybody has. There's some very specific ones to groups. And what we're going to do here is we're going to update everybody's firmware to clear out their brains. No, it's to update the victimization mentality in quote-unquote black people. Okay. So that, that's why you have the slave movies. And the slave movies have really run its course because people have gotten uh, aware of what they want to do with the slave movies. So now they have, to, they have to do a pivot to a new type of traumatization. So the, so the slavery, the Kunta Kinte is no longer triggering the way it used to. Now we've got to do something a little more updated. Yes, because people that are aware, you don't get the same crowd. So now you have to get, you know, give the crowd something new with the same memes and tropes. But um <clears throat> uh yeah, so that's 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 what we're seeing in Hollywood right now. Like I said, throughout this episode throughout this episode, uh, I will prove my case. But one of the things just on the surface level is that the main characters in this movie as well in, as in, in Harriet are not ADOS actors. Okay, and is that important for this particular movie? Could it just be anyone who's brown, black, off-white color, etc.? Or is it specific to the storyline? Well, I question, why do they use non-ADOS actors? Is it because you want to... Are you replacing us? Mm. Are you... Uh, you don't want the actors to be traumatized on set? 
where a non-ADOS person might ha- not have the same triggers. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's several different reasons why. Or perhaps they, they did a casting and they thought these actors were best suited for the role with their experience, their acting skills, and their overall looks. This could be true as well. Mm-hmm. But when you start to see two, three, four, five, six data points of ADOS foundational blacks, whatever you want to, what term you want to do, native blacks, that's the term we chose to use on this show. Uh, when you start to see those being replaced by non-native black actors, yeah, you it, have to ask what's going on. It does get your attention. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I've tried out native blacks with uh, white friends uh-huh. of mine. Doesn't go over well. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't. Hugely triggering. <laughs> and then if I add on to it, hey, my best friend Mo is black and he told me to say that. It's I just the hole gets deeper. It's worse. <laughs> Yeah, shut up, Boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm a baby Boomer. Exactly. (laughs) So, like I said, this is a service level, and it's not really important to this movie, but I'm just bringing up this trend. I'm sure. sure. I'm stating a trend that we're seeing here. So, uh, Brandon Avery, he makes note of the same thing I've, I've identified. And of course, guys, you know from the trailers and all the promotions and marketing that this stars Daniel Kaluuya, who was in Get Out. Uh, he was also Sicario. He was also in Widows, and I did not like that movie, and I did not like his performance in Widows as well, but I thought he did a great job in Get Out. And a newcomer that I've never heard of before, jo- Jody Turner-Smith. Uh, she's done a lot of television. Um, she's a British actor as well as Mr. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who also was in Black Panther as Wakabi. I forgot to mention that. And, um, you know, those are our two main leads. And, you know, while I first saw the trailer for this movie, my expectations were mediocre. I mean, it looked good. I did a reaction to it. You can, you know, go check that out on my channel. But at the same time, I just wasn't too thrilled with it because, you know, while this centers on two black American characters, you know, I was just a bit disappointed because if you know me, if it is a black American character, I want that as roles fulfilled by actual black American actors and actresses and who is brandon avery because i couldn't find him very that quickly uh, Brand, uh brandon avery he's a youtube uh movie critic he ah, has a pr- okay. pretty sizable channel um i think it's just my opinion i want to say uh is his name of his channel right offhand but if you search brandon avery you'll find him he does a lot of uh movie uh critiques especially being black films so okay. good that's that's where we are so I'm not the only person that recognized that uh, ADOS, Foundational Blacks, actors, I mean, roles were being filled by British actors. A couple years ago, Samuel L. Jackson made the same observation. The thing in my mind is, I know the young brother is in the movie, and he's British. So there are a lot of British, black British actors that work All in the country. All, All the time. All the time. All the time. So... I tend to wonder what would that movie have been with an American brother who really understands that that in a way. Because, I mean, Daniel grew up in a country where, you know, they've been interracial dating for 100 years, you know. And I'm sure the director helped. And, you know, some things are universal, but everything ain't. That's right. You know, which is one of the things about, you know, about Selma and some other things. I go, well, you know. There's some brothers from America that could have been in that movie that would have, 
you know, had a different idea about how that works or about how King thinks. Or about what how is King that casting because, thing where you get the, the British black actor versus the American black actor to play the black? What is that? They're cheaper than us for one day. <laughs> All right. The, I have to say one other thing. Uh, when it <laughs> comes to uh, choosing black British actors over black American actors, this pisses me <laughs> off, too. I, I, the British invasion in general, I'm a little tired of. And it's true. They do have a different rate scale. There's a whole bunch of other reasons why Hollywood loves them. But Hollywood also is just completely biased towards the British actors, and I don't I think Hollywood has an issue with that as well. But certainly when you make it black actors, then it's just kind of silly. It's one thing to be non ADOS. It's one thing to be non-American altogether. That is clearly off color to coin a phrase. And, and, and maybe people may uh, be overly sensitive just because we do feel like we're being replaced. We had this conversation a few episodes ago because sure. of multiracial people. We mm-hmm. feel like we're being replaced by that. Due to immigration, we feel like we're being replaced by that. And then when you see it start reflecting on on film, on screen, where you like, who is that person? Um, we had the Obama effect, where you really take a look at him. He wasn't uh, Adolf, a native black. So it's like when you start putting these data points together, it becomes... It irks you in a way. And I would and say... it's like, what is really going on? Perhaps the Obama uh, presidency has left an indelible mark of disappointment for uh, foundational blacks. You know, and because Obama just didn't do much. Yeah, he didn't do much at all. But then it's like, did we expect him to when we start really start to look at his background? Well, we thought uh, we thought Michelle would rub off on him and it would help a bit. And, you know, that was kind of the backstop, I think, for the argument. Yeah. But it was clear that he was a very a, a, an elite, and I think that's a, another thing with the maybe British thing because there's a certain elitism with um, black immigrants. Because let me make this clear: a large portion of black immigrants are elites from their country, their home country. Not all, but a sizable portion. Right. But I don't want to get stuck on this um, point too much. But of course. When Samuel Jackson said that, he had to clarify his comments. Samuel L. Jackson clarifies comments he made about casting black British actors in African-American roles. There are a lot of British, black British actors that work all in the, the time. All, all the, the time. time. All the time. So I tend to wonder what would that movie have been with an American brother who really understands that in a way. You actually take a snippet of what somebody says and you make a headline out of it. You listen to the conversation, you know, it turns to another thing, you know. I totally respect and love all those UK guys that come over here and work. And I understand that coming here gives them a unique opportunity to advance their careers and hopefully go back home and create opportunities for their friends and other guys and let them know that they can come here and they can succeed. Do they know I'm black? You might wanna, you know. As far as you know, we talking about get out. I mean, I've known Daniel for a very long time. Um, I knew Daniel when he was a young writer, actor in the UK. You know, I had literally introduced him to his agent. So I'm looking forward to y'all coming over here. You know, hopefully I run into you on set somewhere. We can talk it out. We can work it out. And, you know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, he said with clenched teeth. 
It's all good. My best friend is my best friend is a black British actor. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to hang out with him. Yeah. So yeah. So he had to recant his statement, and, and I can understand why. Well, yeah, he's why he's a part of the system. Pushed back from Hollywood because yeah. basically you called us roles that keep coming. Uh, you had to play. You had to play along. But I want to make a point that. In the conversation where he made this statement, he was talking at Hot 97, one of the urban radio stations in New York, uh, and he was speaking to Mr. Ebro. Uh, Mr. Ebro is going to come back come back a few clips from now, but just keep that in mind, all the listeners out there, and, and you as well, Adam. Okay. So, so Miss Lena Wave, she visited Hot 97 during the press run for um for Queen and Slim, and she's the she wrote she wrote the movie, correct? She's the, she's the writer of the movie, mm-hmm. um, and she was asked about British actors playing the American roles. So how do you feel about, uh, there's been a conversation that we now have had on our show, and it's been a lot of places, about black British actors playing mm-hmm. American parts. Right. Queen and Slim obviously is a black story, but it is also an American story. For sure. Um, Daniel, of course, is an amazing British actor. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that whole uh Honestly, I think it's divisive, you know, and I think it's it doesn't move the culture forward. Uh, and I always say this, you know, for anyone that has that argument or like, oh, let's get some American or whatever. As like, at the end of the day, if you're black and you get pulled over by a police officer, he's not going to not kill you because you have a British accent. That is a fact. So I'm not we all sure. this together. <laughs> You know, black is black is black is black. And we all get discriminated against. We all get treated like second-class citizens in a country that our ancestors helped build. Um, And to me, I'm a big proponent of black unity. I don't care where you come from. If you're black, we family. Oh. Well, first of all, I just disagree. If you're pulled over and and you hit the cop with a British accent, which you might want to try one time, Mo, just (laughs) as an idea, I I think you're good to go. Things. Oh, it's one of those guys. Yeah, he's, what are you, actor? Yeah. <laughs> so she slipped something in there. She says that of all our ancestors, a country that all our ancestors helped build. Yeah, I, I want to play that again. Okay, I want to play that again. So <laughs> we all run this together. You know, black is black is black is black. And we all get discriminated against. We all get treated like second class citizens in a country that our ancestors helped build. Um, and to me, I'm a big proponent of black unity. I don't care where you come from. If you're black, we family. Wow. Okay. I agree with most of her statement there. Just one little the pee in the mattress. <laughs> This country that all our ancestors helped build. No, no, this, and this is not is, true. This is the rub. Yeah, of of foundational blacks, ADOS versus non-native blacks. This is the rub. No, you want to come and claim um, ownership of a legacy that's not really yours. I, I would be very offended. I would. I would. Not okay. Let me say it like well, no, this. Hold on. I mean, this is this is not even black or white. No, no Brits. Look, originally, yeah, we were all Brits who came over. It was the original Brexit. But after that, right. we drew a line. You know, it's like okay, we're declaring our independence. We're building this country, and that was it. And the the, the help didn't come from uh, from Britain. It's a very odd thing to say. But this is this is politically driven. It's global. This is my whole point. This yeah. is this is the whole all, all black is this monolith, and we have to stick together. And you can't divide the you know 
can't divide us and you know this is the thing it's it all of this is plays a role into politics all of this is stay herded you know we're all one black monolith and if we're all going to receive anything it's going to be for everybody and as we talked about in previous episodes this is not the case it's also an erasure it's an erasure of history it's it's not cool and I would expect to be checked if I went to Jamaica. Like, yeah, all my ancestors helped build this. Or if I went, you know, to any other uh, non-American uh, place and try to lay claim to what they've built. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I don't. So I'm I'm just being fair in that in that sense. So Ebro, the one that Samuel Jackson was talking to before, two years prior when he made the, the uh, comment about black actors. He's going to chime in on the uh, British actors playing American roles. Well, that's Pan-Africanism, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's the piece that the uh, slave master, right, and the mm-hmm. plantation has programmed into American blacks is thinking that our experience is somehow disconnected completely Correct. from the transatlantic slave trade right. and slaves that went to Jamaica, slaves mm-hmm. that went to the Dominican Republic, Brazil, right. the colonialism that took place on the continent in Africa, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, slaves that ended up in Europe mm-hmm. via that same yeah. colonialism, right? Absolutely. So our brains are programmed to think that somehow that's not us. Right. Right. That is us. And the power right. actual dynamic is when we separate ourselves because of that, that's how they continue to keep us right. weak. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> that What a reversal that is. <clears throat> Jeez. Okay. So just to distill in my brain, you said, okay. all right, all the slaves all across the world all came from Africa. Not true, but mm-hmm. okay. We'll, we'll, we'll give them that. Uh, therefore, you are by definition united uh, in your pan-Africanism, which is by uh, pan-Africanism is a political movement. It's a political, yes. uh, political statement, mm-hmm. uh, political grouping. And therefore, the part that I find interesting is magically everybody helped build America. Exactly. And if you want to take yourself and, you know, uh, identify yourself as a subset of that group, that's anti black or anti-pan-Africanist when nobody has made a complaint about people who refer to themselves as Haitian or Jamaican, Jamaican or sure. whatever. All the West Indies, yeah. yeah. All the West Indies have identified themselves and they fly, they fly their flag. Um, that's like any, pretty, pretty much any immigrant group when they come to America, they identify themselves by their home country. Sure. Where this is where ADOS has a weird we have a re- weird experience because your flag, the is, flag is, we, the, fly- is the stars and stripes, my friend. Right, and it's a like you say, it's a weird reverse because we're ha- we're looked at differently because oh, you fly the flag or you're your oppressor. It's like, huh? Oh, it's man. like, yeah. So, but as I say again, all of this is political. All of this has to do with 2020 yeah. in a weird type way because it's like stay on, stay in the herd, stay on the plantation. And do everything expected to do of you and being black, and one of them is voting. I know that's a stretch, but we're going to see later, as I promised, how films are used as mind control. And it's so good when you say it's a stretch. That means your mind is going to be exercised on this very show. Yes. So, Lena Waithe 
she goes into the characters of Queen and Slim. Finding the, the characters was interesting um, because I didn't want them to be prototypes, but yet, in essence, they are prototypes, you know, for every black man and every black woman. Although we are not all a monolith, but I really kind of wanted to put pieces of us into these characters so that way we could see ourselves in them. To me, the templates were Malcolm X and Martin Luther King in terms of um, ideologies and ways of, of going through life and in the most simplest terms. You can see now mm. how they load these characters up with ideology. Yes. And people always say, it's just a movie, Mo. Relax. It's just a movie. No. <laughs> nothing is ever just a movie. Every movie, even from Star Wars to Matrix to all, even the science fiction films, have a sub-story to the people that have eyes to see. That's also... The, that's why movies we connect with movies even if you don't exactly understand what is going on you connect at a deep level because of the story because of the characters because of what's going on it's 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 whether nefarious or not it's always intended to connect to you somehow and there's a lot of uh intersectionality into this movie as well mm -hmm. and it has a transgender female character and her name is goddess oh. so it's it, so uh, even the naming and like I said, the, the names of the characters in this movie is not Queen and Slim. It is not. And we're going to let Lena Way explain Queen and Slim. My biggest pet peeve is hearing characters' names and scripts. If you ask anyone that works with me, knows that that's what I think I scratch out very often. Uh, because, again, it's about groundedness and reality. If you think about having a conversation with a person, how many times do you say their name? in the conversation. So um, now I know why people do it. They do it because they want the audience to be aware of what the characters' names are, or if they forget the characters' names. But the truth is the names are not important. Um, it, it's really about who these characters are. And again, wanting for people to see themselves in the characters. Um, in essence, anyone can be queen. Anybody can be slim. It's all, these are sort of like nicknames we, almost, we give each other within the black community. Um, you know, whether it be a black man saying, what up, queen? Or what up, slim? Oh, okay. I guess they do that in Britain, too. <laughs> yeah. Queen. Slim. Now that's not Queen. that's not just a black thing, by the way. This is universal, as far as I know. Well, maybe it goes back to the '80s, but people would call me Slim, and Queen is a thing of today. Slay Queen. That's a very white girl thing, actually. Yep. But look at the disparity between the two names. Slim is an ordinary. Oh yeah. I mean, just kind of a <laughs> loser dude. Hey, Slim. Okay, you got no muscles. You're nothing. But here's the Queen. Exalted. Like you said, Slay Queen. Mm -hmm. She's a queen. Mm -hmm. So I had this, I did some digging around YouTube, and I found this female, and I didn't capture her name. I'm sorry for that, guys. But she is a pro-woman, uh, pro-feminist uh, a blogger, vlogger. And she talks about the stereotypes used in black movies and explain what is a queen. Today, I'm going to talk about stereotypes, and I'm going to discuss four different stereotypes, uh, the Mammy, the Jezebel, the Sapphire, and the Queen. And then last, we have the Queen, which I hate so much because so many people are using it nowadays, and it's so annoying. 
right? Because the queen is just strong this binary, binary between like this Jezebel, uh, you know, hypersexualized, fast uh, per, gr black girl, and then this respectable woman, right? She's smart. She's in her books. She doesn't go out. She has natural hair. It's all these respectable qualities of what people think is respectable, right? And what it really is, really baseless. It's really nonsensical because it really means nothing. It's it's literally what is it's a way for men to exert their dominance over you know black women, right? It's like if you don't fit into this box, then you're automatically not a queen. It's oh, well, that's interesting. I I I have a very different take on that. You know, the African queen is uh, has very high standing. Uh, queen Latifah, you know, can't touch her. But she's talking about how it's used in modern day yes intersectional circles. Gotcha. How it's perceived, and it's amazing. Lena Waithe, who's a member of the uh, LGBT community, uh, we use that title queen if it's perceived that way as Today? a stereotype. Hmm. So, but Lena Waithe, she goes on to talk about the white gays. So for someone like me who does care about color and cares about the, the community and the culture, um, I have to be mindful to figure out ways to get as much power as I can to tell our stories as authentically as I possibly can. But there's still things like if I want to do like a black drama, there's still this thing about like, well, can they can they be more can they be more levity? Can they smile more? Can they do this? Or I don't understand that. So we still sometimes have to water down our work so that we can get it on the air or get it on the screen. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think Queen Islam is so unique. Because I said to them, this will not be touched by the white gays. Like, mm. we've been watching y'all's movies forever. You, yeah. White people, white voice, white hands, yeah. white eyes. This is, this is for us. Okay. White gays, a term I've not come across before. Let's be clear. She says she takes ownership for everything in this movie because she told the white people in Hollywood this project is hands off. Hmm. That's what she just said. But for you to cast certain characters in a certain way, Queen being one of them, um, let's see. Queen, I did some more digging, and I actually found the casting call for Queen. Oh, really? Uh, yes. And let's see here. It said, Queen, she should be brown-skinned. If she were a slave, she would have worked in the fields and had a tough exterior for a reason. This is this is how they're casting their movies. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of superficial. So here and here's another thing from the script. So there's another character in there called Uncle Earl, and this is from the script itself because the script was actually public um, publicized on social media. It says, Queens opened the door to find her Uncle Earl counting money by, by hand. There's lots of it. Uncle Earl is like Chicken George if he wasn't a slave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is, this is what she's selling to Hollywood. And now you see why I have a problem with it. And I know this is what go, goes on behind, uh, behind the closed doors. But now with this movie, it's being publicized. We're starting to see behind the, the scenes and it's kind of like she's a gatekeeper. These people in Hollywood are gatekeepers. Like, oh, I can give you the black experience. But isn't, uh, but isn't can, she, is, but when, when I hear this, isn't she actually literally giving the white gays version? When, she, when, I, when I hear the casting call like that, oh, it's like Chicken George. 
I mean, that's a white gaze type definition, or am I missing the point? No, it's, that's exactly the point. Yeah. You, you hit it. It's a dead ringer. And that is the case of she is the shield they hide behind. It's like, give us something that can be palatable to, to put on a big screen, but you give it your little flavor. Mm-hmm. This is what's being, this is what's being, um, I believe being negotiated behind the scenes, but there's this weird statement and it's, it really has nothing to do with the story as we go on, but it's just a weird uh, sidebar that I want to address. So this guy named uh, Rosenberg on Hot 97, he's a, a white Jewish uh, male, and he says that whites have no community. Just, just like, blind, like, yo, some black people are going through something. They need you. us. We here. Boom. And that, that piece is something that I think, you know, obviously coming from a, a family um, of black people and white people oh. and seeing that on mm. both sides, I know that that takes place. Yeah. But mainstream America doesn't see black America that way. Right. right. But also it is, it is important to point out that that does not exist for white people. There may, may be on some crazy clandestine race and racist world it does. Mm. But in a typical regular person... There's no such thing as white community. That's not a thing. Hmm. Well, first of all, obviously, Rosenberg was invited to the barbecue. So he speaks from a huge experience. Yeah, at the cookout. But, <laughs> <laughs> the cookout. But, uh, That's what I meant, the cookout. But yeah, Ro- yeah Rosenberg, um, I think he was feeling his privilege kind of like showing through. So now he has to down talk. Oh, white people don't really have a community. As and, him, and him being a... Uh, Caucasian Jewish person, they have one of the tightest knit communities known to man. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, uh, <laughs> Jews, uh, a lot of Jews do not consider themselves white. That's that's a little caveat we got to put there. Interesting. I oh, didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, many Jews say, well, I'm not white. I'm Jewish. It's different. And, that, hmm. and, and I can't speak to that. Uh, uh, any more than I can speak to to black, but I, I, there's one thing I will say. I personally am sick and tired of this whole community concept because that's bullshit. The LGBTQQIAPKKLMNOP right. community is no community, you know. And uh, and I'm sure that you are not in the same community as some gangbanger in uh, in Compton. No, and your culture is what ties you to a community. Thank you. And exactly. culture comes off of morals and shared morals and shared uh, experience views and, 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 yes. and, and, and experience. Yeah. But I thought it very, and this, like I said, this is a sidebar. I just thought it was very disingenuous of Rosenberg to say he, we don't have a community when dude, you're, <laughs> he the is ideal the community ultimate, is, The ultimate is, community is Jewish. Yes, of course. <laughs> right. But that's just go. This is going to show you when you're the only white guy in the room. You got to kind of uh, bow down and and and, saying, and and not let your privilege shine. I know. Imagine but, doing a podcast with a black guy. It's really hard. You got to <laughs> be on your toes all the time. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lena Way, she exposes ho- Hollywood and this next clip and their motives on the jackpot. You know, um, there's still battles that we got to fight and things that we have to do. Can you give but, me an example? Um, you know, it's still... Here's the deal. Most networks and studios are still owned by white guys, you know? And so... And, and the, the truth is, black content uh, sort of represents 
a, a jackpot a little bit right now. It's mm -hmm. like they know that this this experience can be commodified. And that and at the end of the day, I always tell people Hollywood don't care about color. They care about commerce. Hmm. Well, there you have it. Yeah. It's all about the Benjamins. Well, yeah, they do care about color. It's just that the color is green. That's, that's green. well known. Yeah, sure. And she let that slip out because what we have this viewpoint of all these these liberal woke uh, white folks in Hollywood, and they really just want to put the black experience on the screen so the whole world can see what really goes on. No, no, that's it's a great she, commodity right now. Yes, and what I everything I hear her say, and just the way I'm receiving it is. Um, apologizing she's in a way apologizing for what she did because she said well you know we got to do this there's a bunch of white dudes in hollywood well you know we, we gotta it's gotta be it was a commodity we gotta sell it's gotta be in so we gotta have the right names everything is kind of an excuse and this is nothing new because she understands what she's doing and she has to apologize for it for the people that can really see past the bullcrap yeah which i am one of them <laughs> So what I've identified here, we've identified this, this term on this show of trauma-based entertainment. But what it really is, is this weird sub-genre sub of, of a horror movie. That, that for colored girls shit, that shit was an African-American horror movie, man. Temptations was an African-American horror movie. For colored girls was an African-American horror movie. I think he had something to do with Precious. That was an African-American horror movie. I just, I don't know, man. Is this like Tyler Perry? He paints a very negative portrayal of black men. We ain't that bad. Like Jesus Christ. Like Ty Perry makes us seem like we ain't shit. And it'd be and it'd be the it'd be the, the well off brothers. It'd be the brothers that be doing something. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Can you think of a movie that is that it has black actors that is not trauma based in recent memory? Either it's gonna be a comedy. These are these are two and I think it follows with the Hollywood model because this is the only thing you see, really, the two movies that you see in large quantities produced, the horror movie or the comedy. Right. Those are only two. So they said, how can we, we can't do slave movie anymore. So let's create this weird. Uh, hybrid. Hybrid of a shocker. Uh, what's the, what's the, uh, it's a, it's a term for the movie. I can't think of it, but. It's like when you go in there, uh, it's, it's intense. You know, it's uh, it's an intense experience, and that's what they give us. A thriller. And they realize it's very uh, a thriller. A yeah. thriller. That's the one. I like. mm -hmm. So you have these uh, racially based thrillers, which um, they give to us, and black people live vicariously through the movie. Um, and at the same time, it's, like, it's uh, it has to appeal to white audiences if it's going to make any money. Yes, it has to be safe enough where it's palatable uh, to your ordinary average white viewer or the white person is so sympathetic and guilty. They feel white guilt that they'll go sue the movie. And I've heard white people say this. I've seen that movie twice. It's <laughs> this, like, is, this is the 12 years of slave uh, things. <laughs> oh, well, yes. They, it was so the, impactful. They live the, <laughs> the opposite, like the guilt. So you have uh, the victimization mentality going to see it for one reason. Yep. And you have the white guilt-ridden person going to see it for another reason. Yep. And they're both living this weird uh, experience. So there you have it. Uh, but that was Charlemagne the God, and he, he identified it. He was talking about Tyler Perry movies, but Tyler Perry 
What Tyler Perry has done is identified that you can have a strictly, mostly black audience and be uh, very lucrative. You can make a lot of money at it if, if, if it's niche enough. And that's what you're seeing with these films. So we have another clip from Charlemagne, uh, one of our frequent uh, contributors to the show. And he talks about no more slave movies. Well, I saw the movie. Great movie. You know, definitely deserved it. You're a white Vlad, so of course you thought that was a great movie. <laughs> oh, really? It's good. You didn't think it was a great movie? I don't watch no 12 Years a Slave, man. I don't even want to see that bullshit for what? I, listen, man, I, I'm all, I'm, hey, hey, man, they won Best Picture. Salute to them. Congratulations. I'm not into slave movies no more. Why do we need more slave movies? We got enough slave movies, man. You got Roots. You got 12 Years a Slave. We had Amistad. We had Beloved. You got all these documentaries on slavery. We had Django, which, and Django is my favorite slave movie of all time, by the way. And the reason it's my favorite movie of all time, because Django wasn't no victim, all right? Django burnt the plantation down, killed all the slave masters, killed all the house niggas, and rode off into the sunset with Carrie Washington. That's the kind of slave movies I like. <laughs> movies that have a very, very happy ending, okay? <laughs> Why am I starting to like Charlemagne a little bit? This can't, this can't stand. This is the thing with him. <laughs> and that's the beauty about being a gatekeeper. You say just enough. Yeah, you're where right. Where you can keep your black card. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But then they slipped a little, you know, the no look in there. You know, this, uh, I'll, I'll call it the pee in the mattress. It's always something mm -hmm. that makes you uncomfortable with the person. Uh, because there's certain topics they can't broach or there's certain oh, things they can't say. Well, I agree. I think that the role of gatekeeper is what he's playing expertly here. Yeah. So what he said in that last clip was very important. And as we're at the point in the show, we always got to go back. No. Oh. Because these kind of things have been seen before. Before, So we have Mr. Charles Woods, which is a, a black film archivist and historian. And he talks to us about the real reason behind black exploitation. He makes Sweetback, badass song. Mm -hmm. Nobody went to see that film. Personally, I'm going to say it. Piece of crap, as far as I'm concerned, okay? What helped get that going was the support of the Black Panthers. What's the name? Gave it a big write-up. Go see this film. They wanted to tie in. Huey Newton. Huey Newton. Revolutionary this and all of that. What had a lot of brothers going to see it. There was a whole lot of stuff going on in there, you know? What did he introduce in that film? Black and white sex. Black men and black women making love. Mm -hmm. A black man striking a white man because he kills a cop. All mm -hmm. right? But we can also call that film N-I-G-G-E-R on the run. Because mm -hmm. all through the movie, that's what he's doing, running. And Charles Woods. I'm not familiar yeah. with him. Okay, like I said, he was a black archivist, black film archivist and historian. Okay. Um, and he, he does a and his, um, moniker is The Professor. Oh, he's so, on I mean, he YouTube, does, YouTube as well? Yes. Okay, good. But I mean, he also is a, I mean, he's, he's known for his work. Um, and, and like, like looking at black films. Okay. But if you notice in that clip, he said, you could call it, I mean, the movie he was speaking about is, uh, Sweetback's 
Sweets Tweetbacks, badass song. And this is one of the black exploitation films that predated Shaft. Mm. Um, as as he said, it was a piece of crap in his in his um opinion, knowledgeable uh opinion opinion. And he said, "What? It's about what? Black people making love, yeah, and a black person killing a white cop, and a n i g g e r on the run is what right. he said. You call it film? Don't we see a parallel here? Oh, you stumped me." Yeah, well, this is what a it, Queen of Snow is about. Oh, so just, yes, <laughs> this is the exact same movie. Thank you. Okay, I got it. So it's the same movie, <laughs> the same idea, the same plot, essentially. And now, of course, mm-hmm. I've seen neither. Oh, wow. And and when, when when did that movie come out? That that's So that's early 70s? It's, yeah, it's predate Shaft, so it had to be the early 70s. Wow. I think Shaft was 74. So it's it's really just a, a shitty remake of a black black exploitation flick. It's a cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a cycle. It's, a, it's a complete cycle. And we're going to understand why as Mr. Charles Woods continue on and Black Sportation 2. I don't know if a lot of people wear this. They fought over him wearing a mustache because usually what happens is the trope for heroes, you don't give them a mustache. The only one who helped get, get away with that was Clark Gable. <laughs> but, you know, if, if we're talking about sh- what stereotypes do or what accepted images they're shorthand so if, if you have a blonde she's dumb you have someone with glasses and a pipe he's smart he's short so you put the mustache that's the villain <laughs> they gave finally they consent okay we'll let him have a mustache but that was a phony mustache that roundtree was wearing are you mm-hmm. aware of that i never knew that okay <laughs> oh yeah so yeah so smart well, yeah what he's talking about here is shaft yeah of course and shaft uh came after sweet backs uh sweet ass song uh, I mean, badass song, excuse me. And Shaft was one of the films that struck the right chord because Shaft was really the good guy. But I would put that clip in here just to show you, even down to the facial hair. Oh, yeah. It's negotiated because everything is representative of something. And that's, and, and that's and, movies in general, but it's obvious what's yeah, going on here. Sure, sure. But the, the, like you said, uh, the blondes are dumb. The guy with the pipe and, you know, and the glasses, um, glasses is smart. Is smart. Yep. And you had a guy, a black guy with a mustache. He would be seen as the villain. villain. Right. But the movie was so good, Shaft was able to um, break that mold of, the, of, of, of a good guy having a mustache. So even though it was fake, and I didn't know that, that's a little trivia fact for people out there. <laughs> Uh, it was it was an awesome mustache though. Um, so now Charles Wood is going to talk about how films had an impact on him when he watched them. One of the other things I failed to mention was growing up. Not only did I want to be a white man, I also wanted to make love to Virginia Mayo, Rhonda Fleming. <laughs> These names you have to look up, but brainwashed you. Yes, brother. Season now. I'm looking at Pam Greer, Black Chocolate, Gloria Hendry. Now we're talking. This is something for us. Hmm. Now, people might ask the question, well, Mo, why does black people fall so susceptible to films and music? Well, and it's not it, just black people. I was going to say, it's, it's, poor, it's, it's poor people. Yes, thank you. P- 
poor people, this this is how they transfer their um history. It's through uh, I mean, a lot of Irish, uh, old Irish, uh, I think it's called jigs or whatever, the songs that they sing, mm-hmm. they contain history stories in them. Uh, oh, sure. Because even people that weren't literate, they could sing. Well, the country and western does this. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, hip hop is you know is started off as the black CNN uh, back in the in the rapper days. I would say. Yep. Uh, Hollywood, Hollywood. I mean, these things. But also, how about uh, the Negro spiritual songs? I mean, all of this stuff. It's th- that's worldwide, uh, and the masses, of course, in general, most people in the world are poor. So that's why we have. Yeah. Yeah, these these types story te- storytelling. No matter how you do it, but a story told in a way that is easy to remember in a in a lyric or in a mm-hmm. in a movie that is simplified and uh, puts things together that really are hard to do in the same time span in real life. That's how we how we uh, continue stories about our culture, our background, our families, our history, our everything. And that's why a really good movie can relate to several different layers and intelligence level of people because you take a a simple child movie like lion king to the children they take one thing from it but to the trained eye there's a lot of socio-political topics covered in there especially i mean that just goes to even in a child's movie that it can have those different layers to it well now here we are if you have a bubbling undercurrent throughout the poor society of unrest, Charles Woods explains what the purpose of a movie is. These films, they help quell those riots. Because remember, we had the Coroner Commission studying why we had all these riots. These films helped to calm that down. I called it rioting in the movie theaters because all of our anger and our angst we were able to vent and seeing people who look like us kick the white man's behind and what was the subtitle of black exploitation get whitey for every drop of black blood spilled a white man pays he had a plan to stick it to the man the man see we were beating the man. And so I call it rioting in the movie theater because this was rioting without destroying anything. It was a catharsis for us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, now was, do you get the, the point. Well, I was also thinking about my, my first experience in... Uh, uh, in an all-black movie theater in New York City, I was invited to the uh, the opening night of Coming to America with Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. and Arsenio Hall, and that experience with uh, yes. you know you go all of my movie experiences. Now, granted, I'd grown up in Europe most of the time. Yeah, you, know, you go to the movie, and you know people will laugh and and uh, say things at appropriate moments. But man, that experience, and it was in New York City, was something different. <laughs> that was like people jumping up in the aisles and yelling like no stop no 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 don't go there turn around it was just it was crazy i loved it but it was very different and that's what mr charles would have said in the last 10 15 seconds of that clip it was it was catharsis yeah it's a release yes and 
And if you're the elite, now you understand why they make movies like this. Yeah, we want to take the pressure off. Yeah, take the pressure off the cooker. Right. So when you have movements like Black Lives Matter, every time you you have a um, uprising, Hollywood and elite get together and say, let's give them films where they can live vicariously through the characters. Uh, and they can have that, like you said, take the pressure off the cooker. It's even a little, it's even a little better than that. Uh, n- knowing somewhat of how Hollywood works, they actually have um, a shelf or a slate as they call it of, mm-hmm. of movies ready to go. Some of them made a year ago, some of them made two years ago. Uh, they can d- determine to release something. It's not like, Oh, we got some problems. We got to release the pressure. Let's go make a movie. No, no, no. This is all done. This is all ready. It's on the plank. It's good to go. And that's int- I didn't know that point. Uh, oh, so yeah. they have it can- we have <laughs> ready in the can. Yeah, it's in the can. Uh, sure. So I'm going to go back to Mr. Brandon Avery, the movie critic. And he said his small tidbit that kind of confirms what we heard in the last clip. So after reading that plot synopsis, it sounds kind of fun. It sounds adventurous. Like, wow, you know, two black people killing a cop in self-defense. And, you know, in reality, cops are always shooting black people for no rhyme or reason at all. I mean, my goodness gracious. Seems like we're going to have a fantasy on our hand, like kind of like a modern day Django Unchained or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they. well, we, ha- we have the genre. The genre is fantasy. Nice. We're going to have a fantasy on our hands. This is, it's sick, man. It's it's real, but it's sick. But from the 70s to the 80s, black people became aware. And these things can only burn out so long until they go, they become rendered uh, ineffective. Mm -hmm. And then they go away. And then until uprising comes, then you have another wave. I mean, this is how it goes. So we had a, a, a gentleman named Mr. Robert Townsend. I, and now I have these next set of clips because he had a movie called Hollywood Shuffle. Have yeah, you ever I, heard I, that I, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I remember. I met yeah, Robert okay, Townsend. Okay. I've met him several times. So, Mr. Robert Townsend paid for this movie Hollywood Shuffle out of his own pocket. He right. maxed out credit cards, everything, and he and it was a and huge when, success. And a huge success, and not only that, but when you fund your own money with your own movies, you could tell the truth in them. Yeah. And with that said, Black Acting Schools Hollywood Shuffle. Hi, my name is Robert Taylor, and I'm a black actor. I had to learn to play these slave parts, and now you can too at Hollywood's first black acting school. It teaches you everything. Learn jive talk 101. You motherfucking jive turkey motherfucker. All right, all right, that's good, that's good. You'll work. All right, you try it. You, you fucking mothers. No, 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 man. No, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. Watch me. Yeah. Just be cool. Jive, tricky motherfucker. Go That's only the beginning. You, too, can learn to walk black. No, 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 no. No? No rhythm. Observe. Yes, yes, yes. I remember this movie. It was great. <laughs> it was very and, funny. And the funny thing about that clip was what people can't see is you had white men 
showing the black people how to act black, <laughs> which, was, which was hilarious. Whatever happened? So, to, whatever happened to Townsend? I mean, it, it, I, I, he kind of faded away a bit from from what, memory. I'm sure he's doing something good. Hip hop happened to him, and we're we're gonna get Ooh. we're gonna get to that in, in, okay. in a minute. You're all all right. Goggles, man. Put the goggles. I'm on. sorry. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm ahead. Yes, I gotta put put yeah. on the shades. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. He told he was telling the truth in this, and in the movie, I suggest everybody go check check it out because it is hilarious that it the satirical. And the funny thing is, in that clip, he's speaking with a British accent, which is which has a whole another connotation to it. Like, he's yes, just, especially uh, right now with everything that that we're talking about. Right, it's it's weird. I mean, that's why I made a great uh addition to the to the clips that I, I snagged from it. But he continues on with the black acting school too. You too can be a black street hood, but this class is for dark-skinned blacks only. Light-skinned or yellow blacks don't make good crooks. Here's a student in our dance class, and it's still a TV. It just happened to be under my coat. I don't know nothing, policewoman, Kojak, Ironside. Yeah, I'm a gang leader. I'm in the warlords, vice lords, onion head. Let's talk to a graduate. This is Ricky Taylor. Ricky graduated from my class three years ago. Ricky, can you tell us what you've been doing since you've graduated? Well, Robert, I've played nine crooks, four gang leaders, two dope dealers. <laughs> I played a rapist twice. Whoa. <laughs> that was fun. But currently, I, I'm filming a prison movie. I play this tough con that tries to fuck this new inmate. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. It's funny. What he and it's it's a brilliant movie because what he did was poke fun at the roles that black actors at the time in 1987 were being hired for. And and you could tell truth. You could tell truth to power if you're funding your own movie. That's what comedy is, Um, man. Comedy is always talking truth to power. Right. And the reason why I, I wanted to use these clips is until we fund your own movie it's value for value that's I mean, right. it's, it's basically what it is when you have the freedom to say what you want to say then people find value in it and then they support it which uh, if you're well, funded well right? yeah, i'll stop you right there mofundme.com that's exactly what this is about m-o-e-f-u-n-d.com and if you don't then you have to go through checking in with the powers that be and say oh well the 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 tests say screening tests say that that doesn't sit well with white males <laughs> yes, between our, yes, our test and audience. Yes, well, you know most yeah, Hollywood test- <laughs> most Hollywood movies have at least two, sometimes three endings. They'll shoot, they'll test market those amongst the audience. I mean, it's so micro. This is why everything sucks. This is why radio sucks. This is why television sucks. This is why the movies suck in general. There's always uh, uh, exceptions, of course. But it's all been micromanaged, you know, down to the single demographic that they expect to exploit the most or get the most out of their wallet from. That's it. It's been sanitized. It's been it's been really sanitized. And there are some good shows out there that capture what go on the black community, but they're so far and few between uh, because either one, they have to put the art over the commerce. Or you have to get people and one of the cases was the wire they actually got people from baltimore mm-hmm. uh and they captured them in a realistic humanized way 
Yeah. Not caricatures. Yeah. Uh, but when you're going for the fast buck or the mind control, you need the caricatures. Like uh, Lena Wave said, she needed you to see a little bit of yourself in each character. You know, um, so it's bull crap. But for those people that are interesting in signing up for the black acting school, <laughs> we have the we have the number for you. <laughs> Classes are enrolling now. Learn to play TV pimps, movie muggers, street punks. Courses include Jive Talk 101, Shuffling 200, Epic Slaves 400, Dial 1-800-555-COON. <laughs> Don't try to be cool. Call Hollywood's first black acting school. <laughs> That would never make it today. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So, as you said before, you were getting ahead. You said, what happened to Robert Townsend? What happened to people like that? Yeah. Well, we had the influx of hip hop. And uh, Robert Townsend was seen as being corny. Uh, so, you needed a more seedy side to uh, black media going into the 90s, as Mr. Nelson, Nelson George uh, the fame director explains. I mean, I think that what's happened, and this is the dark side of hip hop, is that sort of in the 60s, black stuff became soul. Everything, there was soul bread, there was soul food, soul handshakes, blah, 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 blah. Now everything's hip hop. Hip hop this, hip hop that. But the truth is, it's a much more complicated template. Hip hop, people sort of view hip-hop as this thing that runs everything, but I always see hip-hop as part of black culture and not the other way around. And that hip-hop responds to more broader general trends in terms of violence, in terms of um, family issues, education, all these things the music then ref reflects. Uh, but because hip-hop has become this kind of e easy shorthand for marketers, they leave out, that's why a guy like Tyler Perry, uh, who I brought up, has been so successful. Okay, shorthand for marketers. Yeah, so it's, it's easy. You could throw hip-hop into something, throw a... Uh, and when I say hip-hop, we're talking about the negative form of it. Right. Uh, they could throw that in the background, the soundtrack, and then they could easily package together a quick uh, movie for a quick book. So that put the people like Robert Townsend out of business. Uh, and as he said in the clip, that's why Tyler Perry became so rich and uh, powerful because he actually reintroduced, even though it was problematic and in its own way negative, it was a non-hip-hop version. What he did was gave you the black struggle, sprinkled with a little Jesus, <laughs> and, and it, it created a huge, it was a huge opportunity and he created a market he created a product for that market for the non-hip-hop um black market mm -hmm. uh but because at the time if you, as you see now hip-hop's taking over everything and it's not the positive hip-hop as we talked about on previous shows they're not marketing positive hip-hop it's the negative stuff for the same reason as they market these negative movies but that's where we're at uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I I have nothing but agreement for you. I was just thinking, <laughs> uh, Robert Townsend, where did he go? I think he got to displaced by Kid and Play movies, didn't it? Is that's not what happened? Well, you had yeah, and then Kid and Play. It's, it's a gradual effect. So you they they use Kid and Play and positive hip hop as a Trojan horse. Mm -hmm. 
Cause that was fun loving. I mean, it had like, I mean, it had no more cussing than the Hollywood Shuffle, and it was a fun little movie like a uh, uh, House Party and those movies. Right. And then once they got a hold into, it's got like Shaft. Same thing. Shaft was a positive yep. movie. Yeah. You yep. had a black cop. You know what I'm saying? Cleaning up the neighborhood, kicking ass. And what? Look at all the movies came after that. Superfly. What was Superfly doing? He was sniffing dope and pimping women. You know, you see, it's always a Trojan horse mm-hmm. that comes in as positive, and then they bring in the real motive after that. Once we become accepting of it, so, um, Mr. George, I mean Nelson, excuse me, Mr. Nelson George continues on about um, the media's portrayal of black culture. So it just goes to show you that if you just read the, the mainstream press, you'd think that the only thing that was happening in Black American culture with hip-hop. And in fact, it's far from that. So the, compl- the complexity and the range of expression within the black community uh, is really always underappreciated and narrow-casted. You have to really be clear that it's, black culture is not a monolith. There's a lot of subsets and interesting tributaries. Of it, and that's where the real fun is, actually. Of course it is. Of course. Well, Miss Lena Waithe, Uh, made an interesting observation about Hollywood. She's made the claim that Hollywood studios are owned by majority white males. Is that a completely accurate statement, Adam? Complete. You know, I was going to mention that earlier. So first of all, a lot of these companies are public uh, or many of them are public. So they are, they may be run by, uh, by white guys at the top. But Hollywood, mm-hmm. as far as I know, is pretty much. Oh, so I know the AMC movie theaters and a lot of the big uh, studios are owned by China, who, as we know, is Ch- asshole. China bans hip hop. Well, Brad, I think it's safe to say that we won't be on television in China anytime soon. Yes, uh, the country's top media regulators of the People's Republic of China now specifically require that programs should not feature actors with tattoos or depict hip-hop culture. So, I'm out. You're definitely out. out. Yo, yo, son, I guess that make it all bad for us, you know what I'm saying? We ain't gonna make it. Actually, Heidi, you have tattoos, you're out. You actually have a Chinese tattoo. Yeah, they're really cracking down. Chinese rapper Wang Ho, a.k.a. PG-1, was forced to apologize earlier this month after one of his songs, Christmas Eve, was criticized for promoting drug culture and insulting women. Wait a second. That's my best Christmas Eve ever. His real name sounds like a rapper name, but that's his real name, so he takes his real name, which sounds like a rapper name, and creates a rapper name. Yeah, PG-1. He calls himself Little little Wang. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, well, <laughs> little Wang. <laughs> yeah, China definitely has a big influence. You know, wow. China in this, it, twice in this series of shows, one with the NBA and sports and in movies. Yeah, uh, so they, of course. So why is it that China feels it's okay for their movie studios? And if I'm sure they own movie studios, they own a lot of the shares in these uh, record companies as well. It's okay to promote certain music and, uh, and images to one community but it's not okay to promote in their own country well no of course right. not they, they, they don't they don't want a bunch of people getting all pissed off in their own country let that happen in america and it could be negative and deleterious right yes i mean i would think so well 
I have the splendid opportunity, which you may be far and few in, uh, in between, to introduce Mr. Alex Jones to the show. Oh, boy. And he is... And <laughs> He's right and up the he road. Explains, <laughs> and he explains China ban on hip-hop. And they're losing control. Hollywood's folding. Everything's falling. I made the point that they're hoping Communist China buys up the big six production houses because they're failing. And I made the point, my God, you people don't even get your yourself straight the communists have already taken over in china so they don't want homosexuality talk to kids and training stuff and, and all this stuff they execute you if you're gay in china i'm not saying that's good the news picked that up i did a memo on it last week i said you want china to come in and take over because they're authoritarian and can back up hollywood and because they're anti-american but they'll execute you for your agenda and they won't even let you air most of your films that they see as anti-family because they understand that the brand of sexual revolution you're selling was designed by the cia this is declassified to end the family and bring down the civilization and this is why I love Alex Jones. <laughs> he breaks it down so simply. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What, what I'd like to know is, now, did you just stumble across this in your research, or are you listening every day to the InfoWars? I used to be a, uh, listening to Alex Jones uh, way back. And mm. I think he's the uh, gateway drug to uh, conspiracy analysts and theorists. Yeah. That's like kind of where you start. And then if you, you know, you grow from there and you start seeing, uh, looking for more information. So I was familiar with that. I hadn't heard this clip, but I, I'm, I was aware of what he stated in this clip as being almost a fact. Um, well, and look, and look, and look at how, good to have him. look at how powerful it is, Mo. I mean, we had the whole NBA conversation with China mm -hmm. owning uh, the NBA. Well, Nike, of course, but the, the trifecta and it's gone. It's no longer discussed. It's it's off the radar. It's we've moved on to something else. Don't look over here. Whatever you do, mm -hmm. don't look at what China's controlling. Yeah, and it's just telling that a country biggest China, one point six billion people, tried to ban hip hop and its imagery, not the actual music, but the imagery and the negative uh, negativity that comes along with it. And as Alex Jones said, it's a form of uh, propaganda. Now. I have to say something. Having, mm -hmm. having, I'm a somewhat traveled man. I've never been to China, mm -hmm. uh, but I have been to Russia. And I went to Russia in 1988 before David Hasselhoff brought the wall down. We all know the Hoff did that. Um, mm -hmm. And I met kids who were um, playing songs themselves, uh, Western music, which they had only heard and had copied down lyrics phonetically. So they didn't even mm -hmm. have the written lyrics. Of course, it was you know the, there was a big trade smuggle in cassette tapes. So they would get a cassette tape. And I just remember being in what, what was called a restaurant, uh, and it was very elite upscale. Of course, we were visitors. We were there for the Moscow Music Peace Festival at the time. Another scam for another day. And and the guys, it, you know, and this is like a kid, and he's and he's singing. I don't know if you remember Johnny hates jazz, shattered dreams. It's just I that was one of the songs he was singing that I remembered. And he was singing it like, and I had a huge It was just making up words. It was all phonetically. My point being mm. that in China they can uh, they can, and this is a worldwide, and it always gives me hope. 
say, yeah, you can block the mainstream channels. You can block the the mind control uh, tubes that are going straight into people's brains from the mainstream. Or as you heard Alex say, you know, there's probably more agenda behind it. But luckily, we do have the tools and underneath kids are actually doing this. They're performing it on street corners. I mean, hip hop didn't didn't appear on top 40 radio. I mean, hip hop was street battles initially. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's back in the, the day of Hey You, the Rocksteady crew. <laughs> I, I was in L.A. at the, at the was it, uh, the BLS, I think it was the BLS street battle in 1981. You know, this is where it came from. It came from the street. So this is all manufactured shit anyway. Um, so it, I guess a, a roundabout way of saying, yes, they're stopping that or they're only using the most negative but I think human nature, I'm sure if we, Mo, if you and I went to China, that'd be pretty cool, mm-hmm. by the way. We'd get some cool looks. Um, <laughs> I think we would find it. I think we would find uh, kids with their own version of hip hop that was real underneath. Everything else, I think people have to realize it's all phony. It's all fake. All of it. All of it is with an agenda and with an, if it's mainstream, 90% is just disingenuous. And you can't stop it. No. And I think China understands they can't stop it. So if you can't stop something, just like America, uh, American industry did, you have to infiltrate it and control it. Yeah. Uh, and and that's how it works. But I have uh, the final clip. We have Mr. Alex Jones continuing on about China, hip hop in China. And again, you're like, well, wait, is it a communist program? No. The Rockefeller Foundation. The Ford Foundation, these big groups put all this out in the 50s and 60s, deployed it in the, in the 60s and 70s, and they've done it. The black community had less illegitimacy in the 40s than whites did. Now it's upwards of 80-something percent. That's weaponized control. MTV, force-feeding gangster rap. Folks picked it up, converted their culture to being thugs. So everyone would ostracize them, put them in their own group. Everybody kills each other, you're ready for prison. They even have you wear your pants hanging down around your ass, saying, I'm a male whore in a prison, punk me, bend me over, and mm. <laughs> I mean, they can make people dress like prison sex slaves and make it cool because Sumner Redstone on MTV said so. See, Sumner Redstone hates you. Okay, first of all, I was at MTV for a long time. I worked there. There was never any memo. There's never anything that went around and get no secret meeting, no handshake. I was also in the music meetings where we determined what we were going to. I was the the only on-air talent who really ever expressed interest in it, but who was Mm -hmm. invited to these meetings. And I can just tell you, MTV by itself as an entity had nothing to do with this. They, they themselves were complete bitches to the music industry. The music industry determined what happened. Once MTV took the, took the lid off and said, okay, now we're going big, uh, and they got different. It used to be owned by American Express, then it went over to Viacom. Uh, that's when Michael Jackson came in. It wasn't because mm-hmm. a bunch of white guys at MTV said, well, what do you think, Tom? Well, I think we should let the black man on the, on the channel. It's about time, don't you think so? By the way, he's, he's kind of a white guy, this Mike. No, it wasn't like that at all. It came from above, man. It was way above MTV, uh, way above the from, seats. Yeah. It comes from way, way, way above to the trick baby level. Yes. That's where that's where these conversations happen at. Yep. You know, it's that it needs $50,000 dinners. Well, 
my kids had this interesting uh, music that they're listening to called hip hop, and it could be a problem. I think I, I think I, get I got to play the Trick Baby scene again, just so, just <laughs> just to remind people. 1974, the movie Trick Baby. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, no, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, do you, is there, there's got to be awareness amongst Native blacks that this is truly what's going on, particularly with this movie. I mean, what, what, what are you hearing about uh, Queen and Slim. Well, with all great propaganda, what it wants to do is to divide. Yeah. It doesn't care which side you take, it's to take a side, and a good portion of people see through the bull crap, like I do, and then it's another portion that thinks, well, as we, long as we, we're being reflected, and you have black people in director roles, and uh, writer roles and black faces on screen. It has to be good, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> right. So this is the weird. Yeah, this is the weird. And it keeps you in fighting because it's like, look, it's bad. It's. I mean, we've seen this over and over again. We've seen it from the minstrels mm -hmm. of the early 1900s. Then it came back again in 1970s uh, with black exploitation. Somewhat in the 90s, I was more on television with homeboys in outer space and silly shows like that. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And then, it, and then it, 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 every time there's a uprising, and I want people to really see this trend. Uh, in the 70s, you, in late 60s, you had uh, 68, which was a really hot year. You had black exploitation come along. In the 90s, when you had Rodney King and that thing come along, then you have uh, homeboys in outer space and the real caricature of right. negative hip hop come along. Right now, when you have the uh, Trayvon Martin, Ferguson, Black Lives Matter, now here we are. Hmm. Now, do you feel that there is an uprising? That there truly is an undercurrent of uprising? And this may not be a violent uprising, but is this the the uprising that I feel you are a part of? Is the excuse me, uh, services rendered, uh, f off, not going to vote for you unless we see something? Is this the uprising? Yes, this is the uh, maturation, especially the political maturation of of non-black people and it's scary and i always say this all, everything you see right now because i don't think you see re really people take to the streets but when people start taking p their political power back yeah and that's, not just giving that's, it away that's much bigger than violence that's a huge deal that's the biggest 
that is the biggest and that's scary to one group of people. And that's why I harp on that one group of people on this show, because they're the ones that are trying to say, get in line, stay in state, stay in formation, do what you normally do. And when we refuse to start doing that, that's when they turn up the propaganda machine. Now, have you seen Queen and Slim yet? No. Are you? Do you intend to see it? No. <laughs> I'm, I, I can't wait to find out what else is in this movie, but it sounds, you're right. Now, what do you say to you? Now, well, how about your kids? You, do your kids want to see a movie like this? What, do you advise them? Well, when I start seeing the trailers, I'll ask, well, I only, only have one child that's old enough to really view something like this. Uh, I'll ask, what did you see? Like when that trailer played, I'll ask, what did you see? What did you hear? Right. What's the motive here? <laughs> and now she's starting, her eyes have become very sharp because she's like, Dad, I saw that. Ah, good. Uh, oh, I see. I see how they. Um, I don't teach. This one thing I don't want anybody to do. I don't tell my children what to think. I teach them how to think. Yes. Exactly. Well, so if they come to a conclusion on their own through their own thought process, so be it. What I take away from this is I, I'm actually extremely positive because uh, here, here we are. Here you are, really, Mo, exposing this propaganda for what it is. I never would have thought in these terms I would have still been a little bit stuck in the British actor thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So to take, so thank you for taking this all the way down through the the cycles of uh, of exploitation and and the really the disingenuousness of um, of Leah Wa- uh, Lena Waithe in in her you know explanation of her choices. Whereas it's just another one of those. It truly is a trauma trauma entertainment uh, flick. And it's meant to, I guess, give people something in these oh-so-troubling times. But above all, it's going to close the ranks and uh, and keep people nice and docile where they need to be and just laugh at the screen. And hopefully we've coined a term today of these type of movies as a racial thriller. Racial thriller. There you go. Oh. I'm going to have that <laughs> tattooed on the inside of my eyelids. All right. <laughs> And I would remind people that the ones that are rolling their eyes and say, oh, Mo, you, I am a black man. <laughs> I'm a black man, you idiots. Yeah, yeah, it gives you no credits with me, but okay. <laughs> For the show, yes. Uh, Mo, thank you. Thank you very much once again. This, is, this has been good, and I am going to have my eyes open for, uh, for more about this movie. Also, I think I'm going to go back and watch Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, that was <laughs> I remember that was so funny. That was so good. Robert Townsend, man. Fantastic. And if and informative as all great satire. Of course. It has a lot of truth in it. And Which. and so the the underlying message here is that there needs to be a revolution. The revolution has been taking place for a while. I think the internet is is facilitating it. Most people have slipped into the mainstream version of the internet with apps and iPhones and and colorful pictures mm-hmm. and things that you know you think are important and uh, and are the only way to go, um, you know that's just not true. And this is the perfect example of it. This is a program that is done completely void of any corporate interest, which also means it's perilous because we need to fund this for the work to continue. So I will pitch again that we have a value for value model. If you got any value from this, if this is something you're going to tell your friends about, talk about around the water cooler, 
Uh, by the way, tread lightly. You got to ease into it. <laughs> ease into it. It's always always got to be careful. You don't want to alienate people right away. It's not. It's not easy. Um, then you need to support it, and please do that by uh, sending whatever you felt this program or whatever information you learned, whatever that value was. Send that to us here at MoFax with Adam Curry. And the easy direct link to do that is MoFundMe.com. Uh, MoEFundMe.com. Thank you again, Mo. This was fantastic. And as I always say, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. And we will be back next week. I'm traveling Monday, so we'll probably have to do this uh, maybe a little bit later Monday night when I get back or uh, Tuesday. But we will be back regardless. Until then, see everybody with another Mo Facts with Adam Curry. Bye.